Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit, trademark. I am your host, John F. O'Donnell. Oh, how are we doing, uh, everybody? Well into July in this crazy, crazy time in our country. Uh, things have been good for me, relatively speaking, but also there's been a lot, a lot of uh, frustration and angst. Um, it's been a challenging time. I'll get into that. I'll explain why specifically it might be a little bit different uh, from uh, maybe what uh, other folks are going through. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I um, I do want to say that uh, this is uh, this episode, this is going to be part two of the three-part episode with uh, my dear friend Hans uh, Freiwald, who was a former roommate of mine, um, a great comedian who has been in recovery from alcoholism for about five years now, and uh, later in life, got a diagnosis of bipolar 2 disorder. I have bipolar 1 disorder. So over the course of this epic um, three-and-a-half-hour-plus conversation, which has been broken up into three parts, we compare and contrast uh, our diagnoses. We catch up. We talk about the decade-plus that we spent uh, together in New York, grinding away, doing comedy, uh, living together, a bunch, a bunch of really, really uh, fun, interesting, funny, fucked up stories uh, that of things that we went through together. And, you know, in this particular part, we really talk about my epic manic episode of 2008. Uh, I know this has come up throughout the podcast in different episodes so far because that was a very, very big uh, defining thing for me. It was a, it was an extremely intense, extended episode uh, that affected a lot of people, not just myself. So it's, it's interesting to get the perspective of a roommate uh, during that time. And it's also interesting to hear uh, from my friend Hans about what he was going through during that time and subsequent years later with his, uh, with his drinking and his hidden uh, alcoholism because friends weren't even aware that this thing was happening. And so he lays out all of that. It's really fascinating. We explore the understanding that Addiction uh, needs to be looked at as a disease, not as uh, a weakness of character, so to speak. I mean, nobody looks at me and says, oh, John has, you know, manic depression. John has bipolar one disorder because he's weak. He just can't get his brain chemistry to gavel, you know. But when it comes to someone that is struggling with addiction to substances, it is not seen that way. It's seen as like, hey, they've got a weakness of character or else they would just stop drinking or else they would stop taking opioids. I mean, you know, we know with the opioid crisis and the opioid uh, epidemic that for certain folks, these medications are so, so addictive that, uh, you know, they uh, they play off of the 
the opioid system, uh, you know, we have different systems in our body, like the endocrine system, and then there's the opioid system, I believe that's what it's called, uh, and it plays off of that, all those pleasure centers and things like that, and for some people, it gets its grips into them, and it uh, it's a disaster, and these pharmaceutical companies, uh, knowing this, and still advertising these uh, pills, and pushing them on doctors and lying to doctors about the addictiveness of them uh, has led to mass murder. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll give them a fine that maybe they'll pay after their, you know, big-time lawyers water it all down and our corrupt corporate government looks the other way. (laughs) Whatever. Okay. All right. Now we're sort of transitioning to some of the frustration that I've been dealing with, uh, you guys. Basically, it's this. I'm because the the thing is this. It's so funny to me because objectively, for myself, I feel very uh, blessed and fortunate that my circumstances are okay right now. I'm with family in suburban New Jersey. I'm not even in a, a major city. I've gotten out of New York since back in in March, and. You know, I have some money saved. I don't really have money coming in, but I'm not food insecure. I have access to outdoor space. I have family support. I'm supporting family. We're doing okay. Uh, And my day-to-day is relatively low-key. However, in between my ears, in my head, I'm so hyper-aware of uh, what is going on, not even because I'm paying attention to the news day to day, which thank goodness I'm not. Thank goodness I have the grace to not be subjecting myself to that. And I lovingly implore all of you to not do that uh, also. I mean, as long as you have a broad sense of what's going on, of course, it's important to stay informed. But paying attention to the dark, twisted soap opera day-to-day that the corporate media outlets across the left-right divide are spewing at us in order to purposely uh, antagonize us with highly antagonistic narratives about the same news story to turn Americans against each other for whatever their profit-driven motives are while the super-rich in this country and the big corporations are further enriching themselves with these bad faith bailouts, with a massive upward redistribution of wealth to the already wealthy, making the 2008 bailouts look like peanuts, while we get our peanuts that we have to fight with unemployment offices to get. Yikes, don't do that to yourself. Now, that being said, because I worked on Redacted Tonight, a radical political comedy show hosted by Lee Camp that I'm super proud of all the work I did on that show over 220 segments. And because that was my job day in, day out to find these stories, to research these stories, because we all did all of our own research and then write these satirical scripts and perform them. Holy moly, you guys, I've taken a lot of deep dives and 
it just, I know a lot of stuff. I just, it's just rolling around in my brain and it's all in there. And this is what hurts me. This is what hurts me to my core is I see so many people I care about. So many friends of mine who are incredibly, incredibly compassionate, loving people, forward thinking people, humanistic people, open-minded people. And I see them getting manipulated this way and that by the mainstream media, by the corporate media, by whatever faction of the corporate echo chamber of information that different friends of mine are consuming because guess what? The people that are purveying this information, they are smart too. They know how to play off people's emotions. They know how to play off people's sense of morality and it's driving me crazy because I can't push back against it and free some of a lot of my friends and people who, you know, are part of the greater psychopath community from all of this bullshit. Yes, a lot of folks have freed themselves. But even so, there's aspects of how nefarious this thing is that maybe people are not uh, aware of. And of course, I'm sure I have blind spots. Of course, of course, there's things I don't know. All I can do is share what I do know. And here is why part two of this podcast has taken uh, so much longer to come out than how consistently the podcasts have been coming out. And I apologize for that, but it's because I've been working on something that I am including in uh, my newsletter that's being released along with this podcast that is going to uh, sort of illuminate how hopefully we can... Uh, essentially have the grace to uh, boycott the mainstream media. Because even if there are some truths here and there that they're telling, that is only to further uh, solidify the insidious lies and manipulations that they're telling us. Um, so I created a document, you guys. I created a document, you guys. It's my first, uh, I don't know what to call it, a tutorial. I named it. How to Break Your Corporate Propaganda Echo Chamber Rusty Cage and Run. That's what it's called. And there's a few sections. It's basically there's, there's background and context. The first thing being uh, a really interesting uh, article uh, uh, by this uh, political scientist, Sheldon Wolin. It's basically, uh, he wrote an entire book about it. This is an article called inverted totalitarianism that really explains uh, the structure that our, our government actually is. Uh, then there's some information about the corporate consolidation. Then it's basically I lay out a whole bunch of grotesque propaganda examples by the mainstream media, um, a number of which are segments over the years that I did for Redacted Tonight. So you're learning about it, but th through a political satire. So it's not like boring and super depressing. And basically this covers... Uh, propaganda all the way, like right through left, you know, Fox through NPR, you know, it's pretty interesting and everything in between in both print uh, and TV. Then is a whole section explaining how government made propaganda uh, can now be legally broadcast to Americans ever since 2013. That's a, that's a law. There was an amendment to the Smith Munt uh, Act. It's called the Smith Month Modernization Act of 2012. <laughs> what? I know. Crazy, right? Um, then, you know, 
I'm not just leaving people hanging. There's an inspiring pushback tactic for liberation that all of us can do across the left-right divide. And it's basically just um, hilariously going after and making fun of uh, the corporate media outlets while also just understanding that they have an agenda. So looking at them through that lens instead of getting swept up and triggered every day by the trauma-based narratives they're throwing at us that get us revved up into an end-of-day scenario, then that story passes, we somehow forget about it, and the next one comes along, and we're just perpetually in that cycle. Uh, and then after that, it's like, hey, what do we look at instead? I've compiled uh, a, a bunch of uh, non-corporate uh, news outlets. And, um, you know, and that's also across the left-right divide as long as they're, they're anti-corporate. And, you know, YouTube channels, I have a list of 18 of those. Online publications uh, that also include independent uh, journalists, journalists as well. Uh, you know, there's 37 of those, uh, podcasts I found, you know, 17 of those. Um, and so it's the sort of thing where I'm sure there's so many more, but at least this is a starting point where this just creates a better, uh, media diet for us and, you know, use your discretion to see which things resonate with you, which don't, of course, double check sources, things like that. And then in addition to all of that, there's also some uh, some really relevant uh, bonus sections that I think are worth checking out. So yeah, so I've been working on that and I want to say that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud to, uh, to get to present a podcast that's really trying to use comedy to, to destigmatize uh, mental health issues of all different ilks. And I'm grateful for friends of mine that are willing to connect with me and talk with me about that uh, and open up in a really honest, funny, and vulnerable way so we all feel less alone. And then also I feel uh, really appreciative, and but also I feel compelled to uh, share what I know about uh, how... We're being manipulated by the media so we can separate from it because I really do think that if we are somehow able to really, uh, really take this propagandistic mouthpiece of the corporate state away from the corporate state, to delegitimize it, to decrease its amplification in any way, that will allow for unity amongst Americans in order to create a better reality for this country. And I think that it's crucial to do uh, right now. And it is something that we actually have access to attacking because they have to put themselves out there in the public square, in the media world, in the social media sphere, all of that stuff. And we can take them out because there's just something about the truth. There is something about the truth and we can do that. And so that's the combination of the work. For a while, I was like, okay, I did the political satire thing for a long time. I'm proud of the work I did. It's incredibly uh, uh, great experience, also incredibly draining. 
on me. Sometimes certain stories so messed up that it really scared me, freaked me out, spun me out into manic episodes. Actually, in the uh, the propaganda examples, a bad foyo health section of how to break your corporate propaganda echo chamber, Rusty Cajun Ron, the first one is the Oops CNN story, the Bana Alibet affair story, the CNN caught in blatant propaganda using a young girl. This one was crazy to me. This was crazy to me because they're exploiting this young girl in order to pull at our heartstrings to get the liberal class on board for a regime change war in Syria. And it wasn't just in the news realm. This girl whose parents, by the way, are al-Nusra affiliates, you know, the uh, the Syrian brand of al-Qaeda. Uh, her father uh, was the head of a Sharia court. He was a judge. Hello. Okay, side note. Anyway, this girl is also amplified by getting her own book deal with Simon & Schuster, major publishing company, and in 2017, Time Magazine naming her one of the top 25 most influential people on the internet. What? She's got a viral Twitter account, over 300,000 followers, crazy stuff. That already almost spun me out. Uh, but then, here's the thing. The video we put out got a lot, a lot of amplification. And, you know, I am sourcing here and double-checking... Uh, independent journalists i you know i didn't crack the code on this story um you know but the thing is this our video comes out we get a lot of amplification of it a lot of views i'm gonna say from the multiple places we released we released it well over a hundred thousand views um sure in the scheme of things absurdly that's not that much uh but i at least thought something would happen i at least thought somebody would be held account for this this grotesque transgression that is completely, completely against, uh, you know, the interests of the American people in part, part, you know, that's like the least of it. It's also a morally bankrupt, you know, whatever. But there was nothing. There was nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, it's legal for government-created propaganda to be disseminated domestically to Americans now. Before 2013, that wasn't the case. Oh, yeah. All these folks can do this thing. And in order for our corporate government, meaning all of our politicians, in large part, are bought and sold by business interests, okay? And they've also captured uh, the judges, either uh, by buying them off or putting people in power that are very sympathetic to business interests. All of that, the only way the American people can continually, uh, you know, go against their own best interests and shoot themselves in the foot is if we have relatively low political IQs by design. Uh, and the only way that can happen is by the corporate media, which is the propagandistic mouthpiece for the corporate state. And if we take them out, the whole thing crumbles like a house of cards and something truly, truly beautiful, egalitarian, egalitarian, more equitable, more humanistic, more just common sense, compassion, empathy, all of that stuff, evolution of consciousness, understanding that a connectivity of life exists, that our happiness, our potential, our ability to truly truly thrive in this life is connected with all of those things with other people 
not even nation state, but globally. All of that. So what I'm getting at is you guys should join my newsletter, man. <laughs> you really should. Um, yeah, uh, because this is coming out in that um, the same time as this podcast is coming out. Uh, so that is jfodnews.com. You can, uh, in that episode, get some more background on part two of my podcast uh, episode with uh, Hans Freiwald. Also in there is going to be uh, a link to this interview that I got to do with uh, Mark Maurer, who is the executive director of the Sentencing Project. He is somebody who has been fighting against uh, mass incarceration and fighting for criminal justice reform for 40 years. Uh, and he lays out in an interview what we can do if we actually want to take a major bite out of mass incarceration and decrease our prison population by upwards of 80 uh, percent because, you know, again, the statistic just washes over us. But five percent of the world's population, 25 percent of the world's prisoners, grotesque, a humongous moral failing uh, of our country. The biggest moral failing currently happening, in my opinion. Um, so that, and then it is this, uh, this, this how to break your corporate propaganda echo chamber, rusty cage and run, uh, document. <laughs> I don't know, but that's, what's going on with me. It's going to be incredibly cathartic release for me to put this out there. And here's the thing, guys, I'm happy that I'm in a place mentally where I am not connecting myself to outcomes. I am not speculating upon the fruits of my labor, so to speak, which is, I think, an important ethos to have because I'm going to put this out there with no expectations. It's, uh, you know, kind of asking a lot of people to read it, but it is a gift. It is my gift to try to uh, at least provide some sort of template. And I, I lovingly implore any feedback. Let me know what you think. Email me at takeyourpillspod at gmail.com or just reply to the newsletter. And um, yeah, the whole idea of doing the work, doing your duty, uh, and not worrying about the fruits of the labor, not focusing on the outcomes and separating yourself from that suffering is something that comes up in different, uh, you know, Eastern philosophies and religions. I do happen to be reading the uh, Hindu text, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which if uh, I'm able to put a aside all of the uh, caste system stuff, which is weird, uh, it's not mentioned a ton in the Gita, but it certainly is. And I put that stuff aside um, and focus on that, it reinforced for me that message of letting go of outcomes and expecting things back for the work. And that has been uh, profoundly helpful for me to let go of that. So yeah, this, uh, this intro is <laughs> longer than most. I hope, uh, I hope it uh, resonates with you in some way because for me it was, uh, it was cathartic as well. So I appreciate it. Um, I'll tell you, uh, this was an incredibly fun episode. It was a great conversation. We laugh a lot. We get really personal. And you know what? We address certain underpinnings of our friendship and certain little uh, wheels we had in our head and, and things we felt bad about with each other that we uh, come clean with each other about. 
and become even closer because of. And I think that's beautiful. So without further ado, please enjoy uh, part two of uh, my interview with Hans of Freiwald uh, in this episode of a Take Your Pills Psychopath. About two years okay. into my recovery, which we can we can get to, I end up um, you and meeting you in LIC. This would have been around 2016. You're with um, this cat Bruno. Does that sound familiar? Oh, Max Bruno. Yeah, yeah. Max Bruno. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, that's cool. He still runs uh, Live from Outer Space with me and Eric and Micah now. Yeah. So I, me and him and he's, he's super. Yeah. He's super funny. He's, uh, um, yeah, he's uh, cool. He's great. And. Just specifically how attuned you are to time. I don't know if that's if that's anything you've noticed. I'm uh, so about a year and a half sober, right? I go to meet you. It's the first time I've I think I've met you since getting sober, and we go meet at a bar, right? We meet at this place. Um, what was the coffee shop right next to the creek? Um, and then they opened a wine bar. Sweet Leaf. Sweet Leaf. Thank you. So down by the water in Long Island City, Sweet Leaf opened like a little mixologist kind of cocktail bar right and so yeah 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 okay yeah so i go to meet you because i really want to see you and i really want to talk to you but i i am still like fresh uh feeling out this new fresh skin and i I have some nerves how am i gonna act like am i still gonna be like a good time or how how are people gonna read me right i'm inside my head i mean everybody were nervous about that yeah, you were sure. nervous to see me. Just, oh, I mean, buddy. after after my whole life, my the whole the whole shift after getting sober, like it was like an it's a new pair of glasses. I just put on a new pair of glasses, and they're very uncomfortable for a long time. Um, that being said, so I'm like, I gotta, I want to go see Johnny. I want to talk to him, but I gotta have an out. And of course, I'm so structured Midwest. My out was on a very direct time, right? So I go, I'm going to meet Johnny at seven. At eight o'clock, I will leave, right? Not because I don't want to hang out with Johnny, but just because I need to have that structure because I'm feeling very uncomfortable. And I go, we're hanging out, we're having a good time. And then I go, uh, well, Johnny, I, uh, you know, uh, I actually got to get going. You know, the dogs. You go, oh yeah, it eight o'clock on the nose. You just organically, you organically got to get going. It, it's eight o'clock, Hans, and exactly at eight o'clock you got to get going. Yeah, okay, okay, go ahead. <laughs> and I, I may I might be making you sound a little intense there, but that's I was like, holy shit, he's so right. Like I had this very structured um, thought process in my head to go hang out with, like we talked about, my brother, like my one of my best friends, and that is that is a big part of like that shift and 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 recovery and whatnot, which we can talk about. I just you mentioned the time. I don't know if that is part of what you deal with, but I was like, wow, he called me. You're very, you're very attuned. You're very attuned to things, my friend. What? Okay. What I'm trying. Okay. Well, all I want to say is, um, if I was saying that to you and I was angry about it, it was because my anger was coming from like feeling like robbed of my time with you because of how much I enjoy hanging out with you. That's what that anger would have been. That would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? Dude, dude, like, that's what it is. So sometimes my friends that it's hard to catch up with and oh, now I'm kind of remembering. Yeah. You've yeah. been one that's been hard to fucking catch up with. Like in LIC all the time. I always try to, I w- Oh yeah. I would always reach out to you and Meg and always try to fucking meet up with you guys. And it was tough. 
That was you know probably I mean? pre not, yeah. not to make an excuse, but I was no, very but, isolated and in my yeah, own. No, I, I don't. Say, I don't take it pers. I don't take and it personally. That's not an excuse. But I don't take it personally. But from my perspective, it's like it's it's hurtful because I miss you. You know what sure. I mean? Like I fucking miss you. Do you remember when? Do you remember when I was like really into Johnny Walker and I was really into Scotch uh-huh. and like I really I was like really kind of ha- I was like oh you guys got to get this. Johnny Walker Green. I was like, we got to get Johnny Walker. You guys, we got to drink some Johnny Walker Green together. And at the time, like H Face was making the most money of the three of us because he was like making a lot of money bartending. What a mistake! Yeah, I know. And so, so this is so we were trying to find a a a bottle of green, which is like blue. uh, No, no, no. Let me. I got you. I got you. All right. (laughs) But Jesus Christ, you're fine. Stop saying you're fine. This is come on. Are people that apologize so shitty, man? Like apologize too much. (laughs) that in a way that in a way yeah but that in a way what you did there was a meta apology because you were apologizing i see through you i might be neurotic but i'm 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 aware eight o'clock hans eight o'clock really hans okay but so anyway anyway uh Hans is going to go get this bottle of Johnny Walker green and we're going to drink it. Me, him and Casey, Casey Van Heel, our other dear friend, um, grew up with, uh, grew up with, uh, with Hans, um, member of the jerk practice. He, uh, so anyway, like for the Johnny Walkers, you guys, in terms of like price point, uh, cheapest, most expensive, it goes, uh, red, black, green, gold blue right and johnny walker blue is the original blend then it's super expensive it's like you know i don't know it's like 200 the bottles cost over 200 dollars, 200 200 or so right so i think they probably the green at the time was either 60 or 80 or something like that so we were going to split that we were going to hans was going to pick it up we we're going to split it three ways couldn't find green so he just shows up he goes i bought blue don't worry about it he's like i'm buying it we're like, are you sure he's like yeah he's like i haven't seen you guys in a while i'm like Hans just bought us a $200 bottle of booze. And then the three of us, like monsters, we proceeded to drink the whole fucking bottle of Johnny Walker Blue, dude. And And one, yeah. And then we went to Domini's and it was a disaster, I'm sure. (laughs) Or at least I've painted that canvas in my mind that it was a a, a hoot nanny of of horrors. Um, All I remember is out, out, uh, when we went down from your place because you lived above the creek at the time that we that I was just talking to somebody, I was talking to somebody there, and I can't remember who it was, and then I can't remember anything else, and <laughs> that's not too good. But let's talk. There's so much to talk about because like you lived above the creek, but then at that point in time, years later, because you were trying to like get out of the drinking and stuff, like you were not hanging out there. You well, know what I mean? so all right, so. Real quick, where we like, go- do you? We're gonna get right to the, where that is, and you talk about not being able to go down certain streets, and and this brings me right to living above the creek in the cave. Holy shit! Um, but do you remember specifically being like Hans is trying to peace out directly at a even time? You don't remember that, or have you done that with other people? And you've like, no, you've like beamed in on somebody and gone, I know this motherfucker had a had a game plan. Just curious, no. so was it really organic? Uh. No, no. I mean, I honestly, I don't remember. I don't. I remember as I don't remember calling you out on it. I don't remember now. I vaguely that you met. I didn't remember the hangout mm. until you brought it up. Sure. And now I remember the hangout. Uh, I remember that place because I would hang out there sometimes with my with my with my uh, ex because she would like to go in because she does craft cocktail That's stuff. Right. So she would like to go That's in there. Right. But uh, but anyway, so so then um, 
let me cycle back to Arai in 2007, if you don't mind. Um, yes. Because I think that's where I took us off on a tangent. It does not matter. Um, so in 2007, I start to see my friend Johnny um, slip into this episode or this state that I'm totally um, uh, unaware of, uneducated about, whatever you want. I have no history of being around anybody really with, um, can I call it a severe form of mental illness? Or let's call it bipolar disorder. <laughs> let's call it let's call it a severe form of mental illness. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, you know what? Just stop me if, if you're like, you know what? That 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 doesn't cater- uh, that doesn't characterize something right. But that being said, so I'm feeling nervous if I'm being honest cuz something is off and I can't put my finger on it and uh I'm starting to feel a little concerned, right? As a shift, I remember you guys getting back from New Orleans. And then I'm noticing, but I'm still good time Charlie, right? So then I'm noticing my man Johnny's like always sporting a bottle of red wine and he's always like rolling weed (laughs) and that's cool. And then it starts to be like, um, I come home and there's very like, there's just a house full of randos people that I'm not, I don't care that I don't know them, but it becomes very apparent that you don't know them. Right. So I, I just start to see. Um, tragically, you start to go off on this manic episode. I remember very specifically uh, a moment or a point where I went, oh, this is something beyond my understanding. And you had – I'm going to get it wrong. You'll probably I, – I feel like maybe you were staying at uh, your buddy at our buddy Vince's house and you watched a VHS on fractals or something <laughs> online. Hold on. You're getting it wrong a little bit, but kind of okay. – Okay. Okay. There's so much here. Okay. First of all, in terms of the people coming in and out of the house, yeah, that was messed up. Like I would meet somebody and then I would like have them come over like in real time. You know what I mean? Like, and I'd be so somehow, so kind of charismatic or whatever that I I could like get them to come over, but like, it'd be weird. So, and then one, one that was really fucked up was, you know, it was like, it was late at night. I was out and there was somebody that was like hanging out of the Creek in the cave. He was like, and he was trying to sell me drugs. Uh, and uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll buy some of your drugs. And so, like, I bought weed from him. But I was like, oh, come hang out. Come to my place. Let's smoke some weed together. Yeah. And um, and he was like, okay. And he was kind of, like, I would say he was... He was a he was kind of a scary looking dude. He was kind of like a scary looking black dude drug dealer guy. What I say was his vibe. And so, yeah. but I'm hanging out with him, and we're listening. To like I'm like, let's hang out, and we're listening to Wu Tang Clan together. And the only reason that I mentioned that he's black is because of what <laughs> what's about to happen. So we're in there, we're listening to Wu Tang Clan. I'm playing it too loud. We're smoking weed, and then something comes up that he says some sort of comment that was like homophobic and I start like calling him out on the homophobia. Like I won't let it go. And he's starting to feel uncomfortable. Uh, and, and we're kind of like, but then anyway, the music's so loud and whatever happens, it's like the middle of the night, it's like four or five in the morning. Hans is like Hans's girlfriend is over and they're newly into the relationship. Um, he's already kind of like, you know, kind of at his breaking point with things that have been happening he bursts out of the room he's got his shirt off his head is like is like shaved like it's like crew cut style and he's got all these like beautiful tattoos but a lot of tattoos on him and stuff like that and he just like screams at me and it just scared the shit out of this poor guy like this poor guy guy. must have been like what the fuck am i in fucking american history x right now what the fuck is happening like it was like a fucked up situation and then the drug dealer dude was like i'm piecing out and i was like like, sorry, man. And he left. And then 
I felt so bad about that for so long. But this is Hans. This is Hans, though. I remember I even I think even when I was still manic, I apologized for that. Like I knew it was that fucked up, well, you know, so or, did, moment, or did I not? Right. In the moment I was. And if anybody knows me, like the, the idea of me, quote unquote, flexing or even raising my voice is is bonkers. But it had just. Well, I'm really glad I could push you to that brink. I'm really <laughs> right. glad right, that right, I could right. scare a guy that I made come into my place and in a way that like <laughs> it must have felt ra- it must have felt racially charged to him oh, like it must have I know I feel like because it up. was just he was just it was just it was unfortunate that he was you know down the line of all these strangers that you brought into the house so <laughs> so honestly as a friend you just kept bringing people in the house that clearly you didn't know yeah there there was me as well and and Casey and everybody but I didn't just feel concerned for my safety. I was like, I felt concerned for you because I felt like you were leaving yourself open for trouble. And so, God, I, you know, maybe he felt it was something racial. I hope it wasn't. And obviously my reaction certainly wasn't. I get the no, but humor I, I, in, I actually, in look, what happened in tandem. But look, I, I feel, hold on. There's one thing I want to say, because I, I, I see the humor in it, but it's like, Obviously, I don't know. Right now is like a very right now is a really fucked up time. Like right now, like state violence against black people just indiscriminately being fucking murdered on the streets. It's like, you know, I feel like like it's hard. It's hard to be able to have that as a laugh line like I just made it relative to what's going on. So I want to just fucking make that very clear. Um, So there's no there's no malintent there. There's no taking anything lightly about this shit. But that is that is the fucking experience that happened. Um, and it's fucked up. And it's a product of me being fucking manic and pushing people to the brink to do things that they would never fucking do. Like you would never yell at anybody. You know what right. I mean? Of course like, so I, it's feel, like, I feel horrible about about yelling at you because that's not in, in life. That's not a good way to handle anything. Obviously, I remember it was guttural. Johnny, fucking don't you get to. I just remember. It no, was it was so scary. Intense. It was scary. Yeah. yeah. For the fact for me to put out, um, in, in, stop it. No, of, stop. Hans, stop, uh, stop, stop, it, no, no, stop, no, stop, 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 stop. It, it's disappointing that I would put out this, um, this fear factor, but it, it is. No, what it is. Hans. No, I was in the wrong in this situation. You did your anger. Sometimes is a reasonable response. Like mm-hmm. how I'm angry right now That's about fair. you fucking saying. Absolutely. Anger is the appropriate response. You should have done exactly. You should have fucking punched me in the fucking stomach, not the face. I mean, you know, man, I'm too that's good the, looking. That's but the like, doom. no, that's the doom. Yeah, that's, that's the money maker. But dude, no, you, your anger is a thousand percent justified. There, don't like. I know that you're 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 a, a very very compassionate person. I think that's beautiful. But no, you were in the right there. It was a fucked up situation, and it's like, and, and I'm glad that I'm glad that this. Like kind of, I feel uncomfortable about this moment now, and I feel uncomfortable yeah. about the way I framed it. But sure. I'm glad that it's I'm glad that it's out there because because that's the thing. It's like over time, oftentimes when I'm talking about the manias and stuff, I have enough of a a distance from it and a comfortability with it that I can present it in a funny way. But it's like this is like there's it's like fucked up for people. You know what I mean? Like for example, like I got I got so bad I got kicked out of the creek and the cave. 
the you know for for my actions because I was in there and I was acting fucked up there for a long time, but they didn't really know. We didn't really know what was going on. Oh, it's just Johnny's fucked up. Johnny's, you know, he's an outgoing person. Who knows? Because that's like, it's hard to exactly tell because we're all comics and we're crazy, you know. But then it was like, I remember I got in some sort of argument with a huge group, at a huge table, a group that table that was downstairs. And I like cursed them all out or something. They all left. Like I was like, you know, I was my my performances were super erratic and weird. I would show up like shit face with like red wine stained teeth and everything like that. And finally I get kicked out. So it's like the pain of that after the fact, like when I when I when I was like depressed, it was like, holy shit, this thing that I worked so hard to build up and was like a central part of and has been this thing and I'm so proud of having to get to do it. And you know, and it's now I got eighty six. I've been kicked out of this place. And even when I came back around, like the the place that I took me the longest to go back to that I was too ashamed and too difficult to go back to was the Creek in the cave. Like I came back in the fall of 2009. I didn't go to the Creek in the cave until May of 2010. Like I, I wouldn't go. And I was keeping a wide berth from uh, Rebecca. Who's like, who's the owner because I felt so. And she also felt like she also, you know, even though she wasn't like harboring ill will, like there was trauma there. So she was not, really feeling super comfortable wanting to be around me and you know and 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 that shit's fucking awful it's awful and there's the there's the truth is it's like i have a friend now from more recent episodes who we 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 love each other we're really good pals and the, she she even meant she messaged me though she said like hey you know like um you know that she's like She's like, sometimes I feel like she's like, I need some more time just because like, even though I, 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 I really do care about you and I don't have ill will towards you, I, there's still trauma, you know? So it's sure, like, to be the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to be the agent of that, uh, you know, that is, that's a really painful thing, you guys. And I know I'm not alone in it, but it is like, it's a really, really painful thing. And, you know, like I, now as I'm realizing like, oh, I, of course, of course I'm a source of trauma for my, my, my family members. And we've never talked about that. And and I don't think it's ever going to be addressed unless I unless I bring it up because they're, they're from their perspective, they're they're just you know they're 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 holding that that pain for me because they love me and they have been there for me and they will continue to be. But I want to be there for them in this capacity so we could talk that shit out. Like seeing seeing how nervous my brother is about the idea of me getting sick again. Right. That breaks my it breaks my fucking heart. Of course. Yeah. There yeah. is. Um understandably that yeah we we do create we we are these tornadoes whether it is um it has to do with our mental illness or our addictions or whatnot and we do um create this whirlwind and we and we create these traumatic experiences and we traumatize those that we love and then when we get out of it it is um if we're lucky we have the opportunity to to sit down and and you know um apologize for that but more importantly let them know that we know and that we don't believe that it's on us like we can just fix that trauma that's not fair to them that's not for us we can't it's not it's not okay just to say hey i'm sorry can i take that trauma from you because that'll make me feel better that's that's not acceptable rather it's I, I, I'm aware that, that this happened to you and, and, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry for it. Now let me let make these living amends, these, these living statements that can help, um, our relationship grow and that can, uh, 
help you and I be more whole people and, and a more unified people. And, and that's the best we can do. And it's not, and if, and if people on the other end are like, go fuck yourself, that's for us to say that is your right. 1000%. You know, I have to live with the go fuck yourself because that makes them, that is where they want to be. And they have every right to be there. And that, that, that's difficult of course. But, but again, I, I go back to that G word, the gift word, it, it is a gift to it, to even a, approach a be be willing to approach that those connections and that relationship and that healing right um yeah man that's really that's really um you know opens my heart wide you know to to see you dealing with that with your family and 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 being able to relate to it 1000 percent um yeah man i feel like i'm going i know we have we have focus points what i want to say is yeah there were a few outbursts here and there but from my side of it i'm getting back to 2007 and 2008 and this this episode this this horrible um instance in your life that i saw happen to you but that you've since utilized you know and and made it your own is that um there was just a lot of a fear and concern from our side of course because one we didn't know enough about what you were going through we didn't know enough about your back history we would find out pieces here and there from from some of your family and this and that we just didn't know how to help you that being said one of a a a big regret of mine and we we talked about it is and the two didn't um one didn't um cause the other they just happened to run at the same time and i just feel in retrospect that perhaps well you can't make different decisions in life but what being said because i love you so much and because we're such brothers and because i saw you were going through this pain um, I also had this burgeoning relationship with my now uh, partner, with my now wife, right? We were just started dating and we slowly shifted and I ended up moving to an apartment in Manhattan while you stayed in this place in LIC. And in retrospect, even though your episode didn't cause me to move, the fact that I was willing to step away when you were going through that hurts me very much because um, it, that it's a feeling like I abandoned you and, and many people could argue that that is abandonment, that I should have stood my ground and said, yes, there's this opportunity to have this apartment who the fuck wants to live in Manhattan anyways, in retrospect, but like that I should have stayed and, and I use the term toughed it out, but I should have stayed and been there as a support, um, for you. And I wasn't, yes, I was around you all the time because of the comedy scene. I would see you at UCB, like we started performing there and and Parkside Lounge and stuff like that. Forgive me if I'm, I'm mixing up times, but I did not, I was not there at home base to, uh, I was going to use the word caretaker and I know that's a unhealthy thing, but I was not there to be helpful and that, and that's disappointing to me, you know? Um, and so that's me seeing that that's my part of, uh, uh, what I think back on it is me being very scared for you and, and and jumping jumping across the river and moving to manhattan and a couple uh, things about a couple things about that i first of all um and then you guys lost that sweet ass apartment (laughs) oh that's that that was painful that was painful for years but uh first of all you know uh not not your responsibility to take care of me there's no reason for that to be put on you okay second of all um I always just assumed you guys moved out because I was a fucking reckless, manic fucking... I would, uh, of course you should move out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was fucking... I was making it unlivable there. Like, 
yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, you moved, you guys moved out because I was fucking manic and crazy. And then I moved Patty in there and he could fucking barely handle it. And he was out of the fucking place. He, you know what I mean? It was like, right. or then I had, then I was like hanging out in the abandoned fucking ferry boat over, over by the East River. And one kid was like, you know, was like, like paying me like a hundred and fifty dollars a week of weed to be able to fucking live in there. Like it was, and then other people were staying there. It was a fucking shit show. It was a disaster. I changed the lock so the landlord couldn't get in. That poor woman who I thought was like trying to rip me off. It was just like a nice woman. Right, was a right. fucking. So you ready for this, guys? This is gonna sound good. This really nice widower woman who was really sweet. Okay. <laughs> Who gave us a nice price recently on a place? Widowed. Not no, not that recently. That was a recent. I, okay, wait, not that recent, but but here we go though. Not that recent, but um, you know, it happened long ago enough that enough time had passed that they were renaming the street after him because he was that great of a guy for the community and like the first day we always moved in took... under false pretenses. <laughs> yeah, Casey wasn't moved... allowed to go outside for twenty four hours. It's true, actually, because it was a really nice place. Uh, it was absolutely could be a three-bedroom. Technically, it was a two-bedroom so She only wanted two people in there. Had a humongous backyard you can never get in LIC. We could we could barely afford it with three. Actually, yeah. I remember sometimes floating Casey some of that cash. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, For sure. Sorry, Case. He hates that. He must hate that. But uh, so... Um, yeah, but anyway, so we had to pretend that only two people lived there. I'm starting to get manic. I'm, uh, before that, I'm so ingratiated to her. I'm so calm because we were we were good tenants, though. I mean, all that aside, like we're really nice. Like Marie, oh Marie, her name was Marie, and she lived in some other other neighborhood, like more kind of closer to like Long Island, and. And in my mind, it was like this super rich neighborhood and she had like all she was like she was like gouging us or something. It just wasn't true. And so when she was starting to get really nervous because I maybe like cops have been called or something like that. Or I think I was like I was we were I was smoking so much in the house and there was. Oh, oh. And then since we'd been there. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, fuck. I forgot I about feel this. Like I know Stop, shut going. up. OK, shut the fuck up. Uh a young married couple had a young baby and the one time the mother she goes she goes there's too much smoke there's too much smoke for the baby and i go like uh, she goes she has asthma or something i go i go oh god there's too much smoke for your asthma baby like it's fucking god and then she would like she would like oh, Oh God, this is unredeemable, everybody. But unredeemable, but it's just part of my. Uh. So then, anyway, yeah. So then, I remember she would she would wheel the baby into the house, but in like a stroller, but have like the like sort of like plastic kind of wrapped around, like zipped up and Ooh. stuff like that. I think that was that might have been after <laughs> my time. I thought you were going to talk yeah, about uh, maybe when Marie came in, and the first thing she sees is our buddy Casey and a drunken episode. It was like the day Heath Ledger died. Like we were all these huge Heath Ledger fans. He drew this huge pencil drawing on the wall of a rest in peace Heath Ledger, which just became like this. Can you call it like a totem or something for insanity? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That was the weird. That was the weirdest night. I forgot about the Heath Ledger night that. Yeah. Like that was when that was like the most that was like the most sort of like psychological break i'd ever seen from casey i think we were very affected as i recall we all were or is he is him uh maybe i was absorbing some of whatever was going on with him i don't know he i'll have to ask him 
or I was so fucked up that I was perceiving that he was like channeling mm. Heath Ledger in some capacity. What did we all like Batman? What was it? Why were we so, I mean, <laughs> you know, rest obviously it's a tragedy, but it's not like we were watching a knight's tale on the, you know, I, like, know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. know his career. I mean, I'm sure he's a great actor, but wow. But we really why, memorialized I, I, him. Did I don't know. I don't really remember, but he, yeah, it was weird. He, oh, so you're saying when she came in, she saw that drawn on the wall. I mean, that would have been the least of her problems. I suppose. No, oh, wait, wait, she, wait, wait. When she walked in, she saw actual Casey drunk. No, no, excuse no. me. I was just saying, yeah, you're smoking all the time. And maybe Marie, that's where I thought you were going. I didn't know about oh. the cigarette smoke or weed smoke thing or anything. I thought maybe it was the, the, the bonkers wall tattoos that were slowly no. forming yeah, around that apartment. But I was. No, I, I don't know. There's all sorts of shit. But yeah, there was that. There was, I think like, there was like a, a hole punched in the wall, you know, like that's kind of standard operating I guess, procedure. I guess there was some standard. There was a fridge in the next to my couch. I recall that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, whatever. But, but anyway, anyway. that are neither here nor there, no? It's fine. But I just, I guess, I think what we have expressed is that, okay, you mentioned, okay, so the, okay, real quick also, there's this, there's this fractal <laughs> geometry oh, documentary. Jesus. He, you brought it up. All right, no, we can't get into it. Oh, absolutely. We, no, I know, I know. But I mean, it's like, uh, there's guys. You guys, if you go on YouTube, there's you type in the colors of infinity, spelled in the British C O L O U R S. Uh, there's this documentary about fractal geometry, and it's really, really fascinating. But if you're ramping up and getting manic and smoking a lot of weed, and you watch it ten times in a row uh, while your friends have gone to bed at their at their apartment, and then they wake up the next morning and they see you're like with your shirt off and like uh, you have like cigarettes that you've put out like on like on like a piece of like on like a like I don't know I I, I like to think they were in the ashtray, but maybe they weren't. Uh, and you're just watching this documentary on repeat, then you probably shouldn't watch it. But otherwise, it is actually incredibly interesting. So I got obsessed with that documentary, and it really manifested in an intense way when I was manic. Um, but let's just like let's let's wrap this up because I feel like on other episodes of the podcast I've talked about this in part, and there's so many different things to sure. it. But I think what we, instead of exhaustively talking about uh this, what I want to say is. I'm glad that I feel like I expressed more of a level of of uh, a level of discomfort with aspects of uh, of of this episode. And I'm happy that I did that. Um, but if there's any other uh, any other points that you're like, oh, uh, that's something I wanted to say, please do. And then let's maybe talk about uh, your recovery. Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, I know there was a lot of meandering and, and, and whatnot. And, and that is what it is. And that, that's how a very. Um that's how uh, a very honest conversation should go when we're when we're looking in upon ourselves and, and looking back right um, so specifically no I just you know like I said we had that conversation I always felt like huh there was these uh, this I, this abandonment that I, I, I had felt and 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 that's why and and I'm not I'm not apologizing for it because I've discussed it with you I'm just I'm just putting out there what I felt and that feels then that, that's very important and um, uh, Can I ask you something? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, is it nine o'clock you, on the nose? <laughs> do you think? Do Do you think because of us talking that out and you hearing my perspective on it, where I did not feel like you abandoned me, and I feel like it was absolutely reasonable for you to move out? Does that actually? Well, do you think that on your terms over time that'll allow you to not? have that little wheel in your head feeling like you abandoned me because it's just not true. 
Right, right, and and these are the conversations we have. I, I there, there's comfort, right? Because because it, it's out there now, and and I, this is a feeling that for whatever reason, and like we started off the episode, you and I have these long breaks where we don't connect with each other, but then we can connect. So it just feels very good to have that another layer layer of honesty of what was going on, you know, because our relationship certainly doesn't end there and just start right back up here. Right. There's other episodes. There's my own addiction and everything. There's, there's our own comedy path and, and doing more shows together and everything. There's so much more there, but all right. So we've addressed that moment and, and, and one more aspect of it. And, and that's great. That's another layer We're we're constantly like peeling apart these these moments we've lived in our life and that, and that's, that's a joy, right? Because you know, every, nothing is uh black and white or, or binary, right? It, it all, it's this, these spectrums of everything that's going on. Um, yeah. So what, what I want to say is, uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I think that's, I think it's awesome. And I think it's a service. I think it's, we're providing a service for each other by, by doing this and I'm, I'm proud to do it. Uh, I do want to say, it's just to say real quick, before this shit got bad, and when we were having uh, so much fun at the creek and stuff, do you remember the barbecues that we would have, the parties that we would have at the apartment? How much fun that stuff was! Of course, yeah, uh, yeah, it was. I, I mean, I'm you know, I'm just bringing it up because it's like I, I look back at that. I still have, even even all the shit that went down. I still have such a big smile on my face because at the time. All our comic scene, we were all just like struggling to hang on in New York. Like the fact that we were able to get an apartment like that, that had an outdoor space and a thing like that. And that we could a place where we could fit like 40, 50 people hanging out in a party like was like unreal. And so we would have these really fun barbecues. I remember the first time we went, me, you and Casey went to Costco. Yeah. And we bought a bunch of food. We bought all those burgers and everything. And did we all had that hot stuff dogs for a year and a half. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we did. Yeah, we because we no, but we. I remember when we were looking too. You found you found the good deal on like the big like the the bulk one. You found like the right ones, and um, I, yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a bargain hunter for sure. Oh, you did, and uh, and I remember one time, like uh, a lot of my family came out too. So it was like places packed with my friends and my families. They were all having fun. My family gets to see this wonderful community that I'm a part of. They're meeting all of these people. We have a great time and it was just wonderful. And then we'll, I'll tell them the, let's tell them the anecdote, the, uh, the pop man anecdote. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, so basically we have a dear friend, um, somebody that I actually feel disconnected to right now that I want to connect with. Um, a really funny comedian named Jesse pop, uh, P O P P. Yeah, uh, he's got album. He's got albums on Spotify. If you guys want to check it out, Jesse Pop. Like basically, so, you know yeah. how there's like, like there's um, there's like there's like the comics that comedians find hilarious and want to hear the same jokes again and again. This is one of those guys. Um, so, uh, so anyway, we're all we're all partying. We're all getting we're all getting we're all getting sauced. It's Fourth of July actually, and so. So, you know, like uh, me never wanting to like, you know, miss an opportunity to utilize a crowd. I'm like, oh, OK, we're going to book a show that night. It makes total sense. Just we're all party all day. They all just walk everybody three blocks to the creek in the cave because, yeah, my place was three blocks from the creek. So it was like I was like framing myself to be the little like comedy mayor of Long Island City, Queens. For sure. Um, but, you uh, were. Yeah. You were. But uh, yeah, I was. I was. Um, but uh, so. So. You know, by the time it's like, I guess, early evening or maybe seven o'clock or something, we we all everybody, I, you know, wrangle everybody. And we're walking over there. But the thing is, at that point, Jesse had gotten so drunk that he was like 
he was like, I can't perform. I don't want to perform. I'm too drunk to perform. And so and I, I remember I was like, OK, like, what was I going to say? But I remember being annoyed because because I was like, oh, he's so funny. Like, I really wanted him to be part of this show because I know that, you know, it's going to be fun for everybody to watch him. Uh, and then he uh, but so he sold his Ooh, set. Amazing. On this show to our friend Mike Burns, who's, who's super funny, but super dark, like, raw. you know what I mean? Raw as fuck, like, you know, very, very fucking, you know, just like visceral, like, you know, intense comic. Um, also, it was probably not much less drunk than Jesse. I'm sure. <laughs> we did have a cake. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, so. Anyway, sells is set to Burns for a dollar. We go there. The place is like filled up. Everybody's having a lot of fun. <laughs> Burns goes up there and he gets laughs. He has a really great set, but it was so, so dirty. And I'm just like having a look at my grandmother listening to this stuff. And I'm like, this is not what I was wanting to do. All of that being said, I, uh, if you recall, was wearing a camouflage uh, onesie that was for uh, women to wear, like a romper type thing. But my it belly was, was very too big. Form fitting, yeah, yeah, very form fitting. Yeah, my belly was too big to zip it up, um, and it looked ridiculous. And I was playing uh, a, a, a character called named American Joe, but I don't remember <laughs> what I did or said. But I can't imagine that it was good. Um, so, uh, so. So that happened. And then I remember, though, I made a Photoshop art thing of me in that in that outfit. And now also everybody at home picture. I had very long hair and I had like a Hulk Hogan style mustache. So like, yeah, yeah, different look. Um, And I couldn't zip it up. And then I remember I made this thing. It was like a poster and I was on there and it was like a green like army background. And there was like an American flag. And then the the caption, it said, uh, don't ask, don't ask. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty funny. Don't ask. Don't ask. That um, I remember that show being such a, a treat because nerd jerk practice, G core comedy. We had nothing but American history material, baby. So to have a, I was just lapping up some sweet, sweet American pride. Oh, oh yeah, you guys crushed it. Oh, dude, when did we do that? When did we do the 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 Kurt Russell off thing? Oh, well, you created an amazing, um, you, didn't you create a Halloween show that still stands to this day? No, no, that's the, I did 50, I'm 51st jokes. I did, and are you the dirty don't... 30 as well? Yeah. Cause but, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, somebody did but, a Halloween show. Oh wait, it was our Halloween show. Jerk practice. It's your Halloween show. Cause you call it. This, uh, see? <laughs> yeah, we, see, yeah, I have this very soft brain blackout. <laughs> Uh, uh, skewed memory. Wow. Yeah, it was our Halloween show. It was a great show, and we did it. Annually. But you called it. But yeah, but no, you called it the the first year around. You called it the second annual or something. You had some weird. You did Always. some weird thing with it. What'd you do? I'm sure we referenced a show that didn't happen the year before because we thought it was internally funny. I mean, the second but annual it, Kurt Russell costume contest. That's what it was. Yeah, it was the second annual Kurt Russell costume contest. So you guys. He they got the jerk practice got about like a dozen comedians to dress up as Kurt Russell characters from different Kurt Russell movies. And uh, and then and then there was like a competition for it. And I remember I got to be Captain Ron. Oh, you lucky dog. I think I was Snake Plissken. Or, uh, oh, oh, yeah. You're not lucky. You got 
You get no, to be Snake Plissken. That's, that's that's where the money, and that's where the. Wait, the I'm sure that's where the. Wasn't Sean? Wasn't Sean Patton Snake Plissken, or were you Snake Plissken? Oh, maybe he was Snake Plissken. Maybe I was. Um, who was in um, uh, 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 Big Trouble Little China? Perhaps. Oh yeah, you yeah yeah you were definitely that one. Um, but uh, it's funny Snake Plissken keeps coming up. And for those of you guys who don't know, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., amazing movies. Uh, John Carpenter. Um, and uh, yeah, Kurt Russell. Uh, but uh. I keep saying that Sean and should like I keep telling Sean now because now like he's fine, but with that kind of cool like scar he's got in his head and the way his beard is long and everything, his long hair, he really does look like like Snake Plissken's like nemesis. Like he looks like him and Snake Plissken. No, I go no, you look like a guy who like Snake Plissken knows who you are, but he doesn't really like return your texts. You know uh, what I mean? Uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's he's a guy who faded on Snake Plissken or vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, but anyway, I just wanted to say, yeah, that, I just remembered those barbecues are so fun, and then I remember that Fourth of July thing, and then as I was saying that, I remembered the um, the second annual uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah, let's pageant. let's yeah. never let's never forget there were joyous, joyous times that have no negative connotations attached to them, right? Let's, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's not color everything with <laughs> this gray brush, right? Even though even though it's very easy to do, and, and it can be done, but it doesn't have to be done. But no, we're not. We're not doing that. No, I was no, just I'm saying, not, like, you know, no. But it, it, it is possible, and and pro- I'm probably looking looking at myself. Hey, I've had two big old jars of Diet Mountain Lightning. Can I step away and use the facility and be <laughs> right back? Yes, and then we're gonna talk about your recovery. Okay, that'd be great. So, okay, so you know what the thing is? It's like I know that you were, uh, you know, like a a drinker and stuff like that. But I guess I never saw it as like, Oh Han of all of so many of our friends, I, I wouldn't be like, Oh Hans is the one that has a drinking problem. And when you were really kind of going to that whole recovery and stuff like that, that by the time that happened, me and you were not really like around each other that much. So it's like, I didn't know until after the fact, right? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. And we, you and I had um, gone our separate ways, so to speak. And a lot of that has to do with my addiction so I identify myself as an alcoholic uh, because that's that's what, I, that's what I'm addicted to. But specifically, you know, because I know addicted, it can be a broad thing and, and there's other stuff there, but specifically alcoholism. And for me, the reason you're seeing that is because for me, my alcoholism was is very cunning and very protective of itself, right? So when you saw me out as Good Time Charlie, right, or even home... Like that was me putting on the show so I could secretly go and drink the way I wanted to, right? Behind the scenes, isolated, really getting the job done. And that's a big part of of my my addiction, right? Is putting on this face and putting on this front in order to, you know, to really uh, uh, turn it on uh, behind behind the scenes. And that got more and more uh, accelerated until there was no front. But there was also, you know, it was just behind the scenes. So just, you know, total isolation. Um, so really, so it was like, so for you, it'd be like a kind of, it's like a, it's like a secretive drinking sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Good point. Good point. Yeah. For me, that's how, that's how it manifested Um, for sure is that um, I, you know, I would, I would want to put on this front because I really wanted to drink the way I wanted to. And the way I wanted to drink was to drink until oblivion was essentially to drink, to forget, to drink, to make all these voices go and go away. 
right? But I also had these anxieties and these fears, and I didn't want to get busted out in front like, whoa, I think Hans has a drinking problem because what happens if people are like, oh, I think Hans has a drinking problem, then they might try and intervene, and therefore I can't drink, right? So so that's that's the protection. So when I'm out there, got to put on the face, have my drinks. Yeah, I get drunk, get a little wild, but but the real deal happens, you know, um when when I step away. If that makes really? sense. And it um, makes total and, sense. And and that's not necessarily at the time we were hanging out when you're specifically talking about it, you know, my problem wasn't at the heights that it would get as well. You know what I mean? I was slowly I was going up that going up that roller coaster man until until i i hit that peak and then and then i had that 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 pretty horrendous ride which was um which was towards the end of my active drinking so when what when was that what year was that stuff around so that's yeah that's that's interesting i would say so i got sober in 2015 in april 2015 i would say that uh, so around 2013 is when it and when it hit its um, hit its peak when it when it got so severe that I was like just drinking like to get through the day like to get to get to sleep at night to get up in the morning to make it to work to to function essentially so my, that was 2013 I would say that's when it finally hit to that point and then I would go through these cycles because binging was a, is a big part of my my addiction right so i would just go hard 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 put on a face get you know white knuckle it until you know uh i could put on those appearances again and then go hard hard again and i would say yeah leading up until you know uh my last drink landing me you know wheeling and dealing with a couple emts and getting in the hospital and escaping from a hospital and then coming back home and being entirely exposed because my partner and we talked about trauma who had been putting up with this for so long and guarding my secrets. Um, unfortunately for her, obviously, you know, not knowing what to do, being just as scared watching me destroy myself and our lives together as I probably was watching, you know, you and not knowing how to, how to, how to cope with it and how to manage. Uh, finally, it was like, Hey, this dude's got a problem. I'm going to tell your parents, my parents, your brother, everybody, your friends, this is what's going on finally. And then, there's where that intervention, not in a literal sense, but that's where the cat's out of the bag. And, you know, it, there's no, that's like a point of no return, if you will. At least that's, that's my story there, specifically getting to that point. So what, uh, um, okay. So real quick. And we, cause we talked about this on our phone call last week. Like I had an episode in New York in, 2013 where mm -hmm. I th where yeah. we kind of had a brief sort of interaction so I don't want to get into this uh, uh, too much but of like course. just what I want to say is so when you were saying that one day that we met up when I met up with uh, you uh, and uh, uh, some other folks um, you were in the throes of your shit right there oh absolutely absolutely like so to make it real concise um, I get a call from our friend Patty says Johnny's having some trouble Johnny's having another episode can you help me out? You know, we need to, we need to get him some help. And this was, he's probably calling me at like nine in the morning. I've already been drinking since like seven in the morning. Right. So, but for me as an alcoholic, like that's gotten me level. That's gotten me right. Let's go, go, go. I'm in the sweet spot. And then we go throughout the day 
and I commit to help you. Meanwhile, I'm like blackout drinking throughout the day, so I can't truly be of any help um, because I've got this this you know this secret addiction going on in my life, right? It's so it's so crazy because I don't. I mean, I was kind of I was spun out, but I just remember all I remember is thinking, "Wow, Hans looks really really cool in that in that green pea coat with his black sunglasses." <laughs> that was what I remembered from that day. But uh, um. Now, when when you say sweet spot, because I don't I don't understand um, I don't I don't have that I don't have the disease of addiction, um, and I definitely want us to not to forget about to talk about that because that's something I've not yet covered on this podcast. I've talked to friend of mine friends of mine that are in recovery, and I very much uh, understand that um, that addiction is a disease, but I think in the culturally, it's not really sort of that's not that's not everybody's takeaway uh, yet and it should be, but I just want us not to forget to talk about that. Okay. Um, sure. Sure. Um, when you say sweet spot, I fear. I no, guess, I know, but no, but you said the yeah. word, what I was saying, what I'm saying is what is it? What is it like if you don't do the drinking? Like what, what do you feel like if you don't for you when you would not do the amount of drinking that you had to do mm-hmm. to get going for the day? Like what's it, what happens? So I would, the anxiety would be so intense about what happened when I was drinking that I couldn't remember, obviously, because I was blacked out and for how long. And I would um, create these scenarios of what I possibly did, who I possibly talked about, you know, what I looked like. Did I commit a crime? It was all these like fears of what I was doing when I was not in control of my body and thoughts and everything. The anxiety would be so intense that, um, I would throw up and I would not from a hangover, just throw up from the anxiety and like retch to the point where I was like retching like bile. That's how it physically manifested. And then mentally emotional, let's say for those last two years, I used to um, dream or, or um, think about this drill, this drill, this very vivid thought of this drill that would um, appear in my head that would slowly turn on and just want to slowly, you know, it was, it was suicidal essentially like, and it was suicide by this drill, this imaginary drill. And that was like two years every morning. I get so sick and anxious if I didn't drink that I would retch or I'd be so clammy and sweaty. I'd, I'd like get in the shower for like one minute to try and cool my burning skin. Um, and then, I mean, it's really oh dark. My. It's serious. It's obviously it's dark. I mean, um, and, and keep going would, and then if yeah and but then if i had like one shot of vodka or something to quell that anxiety i i, I shouldn't use the term sweet spot but essentially it would just got me to a point of functionality the shakes would stop and this and that and the issue is as an alcoholic yeah all right so that balanced I'm, i no longer want to uh you know throw up my insides you know i no longer need to cool this this my burning flesh and the drill has gone away. The issue as an alcoholic is now I have to have more and more and more because I've triggered what I call an allergy. Right. So I've triggered this allergy that makes me want to drink, drink, drink until I can't possibly drink anymore. And the way I drink is the only way I won't drink anymore is when I'm physically unconscious. So it was a really vicious cycle for sure. Right. Um, and yeah. so when I meet with you that day, you know, I've, you know, I don't remember specifically, but I'm sure I've been through that morning routine and then I've had the drink and then I've had the next drink. And then this phone call comes from Patty and it's like, oh, all right. 
here's an excuse. I'm poor selfishly. All right, I'm, I'm going to help my friend Johnny, but secretively, alcoholically, I'm like, because we can go throughout the day and go bar hopping and I'll keep an eye on Johnny, but really I'm feeding my monster the whole time. And then, you know, the day ends and then that's when I can resume this alcoholic drinking until I'm obliv- oblivion, until I'm consciousness. Unbelievable. That, and that was, thank you. Thank you for that. Like, thank you for just giving me more insight into that and that beautiful explanation of it because I just didn't know that. Like, I feel like we were still in, in touch, but us having be, being intermittently around each other, that it's like, I didn't know this was happening. You know, I really didn't. And I know that's also a product of you saying that part of you is like you were, you know, that you were a clever uh, alcoholic and it was like a secretive thing. But I'm so sorry that you've had to deal with and process that pain. But I'm also so proud of you for where you're at right now. But I do really want to hear about how you got into and escaped from the hospital. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm back in LIC at this point, right? And I'm drinking like a monster. I'm totally isolated, um, living above the creek in the cave. And let me this tell you. 2013? This is this would be 2013. Yeah, that's correct. Um, okay. Uh, living above the creek in the cave where we did comedy on a regular basis where I made all these beautiful comedic connections and now where I'm huddled above in this tiny apartment above the creek in the cave drinking myself to death as I see all these people that I was performing comedy with continuing to grow, right? And me becoming more and more um, uh, going more and more into myself and becoming more going more and more into hiding but still having to walk by the creek to get to my liquor store one of my four liquor stores because I always rotated them because I didn't want the guy who ran the liquor store to think I was an alcoholic right because how dare and um, so so what is that feeling going from a place of uh, living above a place of complete joy and creative growth to being this alcoholic who basically, you know, has to close his eyes tight just to walk by it. It's very, it's very difficult. And it was very painful. Um, um, that- also, yeah. It's like, but also it's like the proximity is what makes it crazy to me. Cause I do remember when I, when I would come over and I'd see your place and hang out there. And I love, I always loved how cool you guys made your place. And you had that, you had all that, you know, all that Kennedy memorabilia and all that stuff. It's freaking cool. But like, I remember thinking, I was like, it's so weird to me that Hans like never hangs out at the creek in the cave. I guess he just doesn't think it's cool anymore. Doesn't like like it or something like that. Cause it's like, or he doesn't want to be around this scene. I don't know, but it's like, he lives right above it, but that must've been. Yeah. So it's like from the perspective that you just told me about, like the idea of you're a comedian, there's a comedy club right there. You're, you're paralyzed by this disease, this alcoholism and this anxiety that the comedy's happening right there. Fear, something that you were a part of uh, getting the ball rolling on building and you're walking past it. That is like fucking Kafka esque shit. (laughs) Yeah. it, it, It is really dark, right? Because, and it only compounds on itself, right? Because the more and more I, I drink and drink to get like, you know, cause I always start drinking. Like I'm going to get the courage. Like I got this idea and this idea. And, and, you know, I got all these connections to the creek, but then I drink, 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 drink myself back into oblivion. And then the next day is like, Oh my God, I'm once I'm farther removed and farther removed until it's like the creek has become this, like, um, this, this inferno that I have to like <laughs> hide from because I'll be exposed. Not that everybody probably didn't know. Cause I was just like this little troll living above the Creek. Like, you know, that just smelt like that had vodka waves coming off of me as I, I crept by it 
to around close close friends it's disturbing it's super disturbing and and like you said yeah that's the disease of alcoholism it's it's really heart-wrenching um but uh, just like anything else you know like i wouldn't be who i am without without those experiences (laughs) very painful at the time uh but luckily uh luckily that have this comic background as well and these comedic friends that that even elevates it more to be able to look back on and be like <laughs> what a what a sight what a sight you were what a what an experience um, dude i feel like i feel like a i feel like a play of some capacity like a like just that fucking whole thing like it's just right there like i see it the idea of somebody just so close to the thing like the the physical proximity of it, it almost it's like a fucking metaphor it's oh, like yeah. an allegory right there, but you actually live the like you live the IRL version of the allegory. You know what I mean? Where it's like somebody's so close to their hopes and dreams, but the yeah. self. De- so we'll put them above the place that they're at to show that as the visualization. You know what I mean? It's very, like, very on the nose. Heckled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a one. venue heckled. You got venue oh. heckled. Oh my god! Proximity. Yeah, venue heckle onto it. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> So hey, but who who knows? You're gonna come out the other end of that. You're gonna just own a bunch of comedy clubs. Yeah, you, yeah. You never know where that where that's gonna go. It's <laughs> it's led to this right here, and this is a this is a blasting. Um, so so I'm living above there, um, and my my now wife at the time, my partner Meg, she finds another. She finds a better apartment, literally just down the street. So we make our way. Oh, um. Uh, down 11th street we 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 leave our apartment above the creek in the cave and move about a block and a half away and so we have and obviously at this point you know i i live with meg like she knows what's going on she's she's fearful it's creating a lot of tension and everything like that obviously um and i don't know i don't know how she's she's coping and putting up with it like uh i i I wonder if i would have um in her position and and sadly i don't know if i would have but um, that's just being truthful. Okay, so we move into this kick-ass apartment, and we're gonna have this this housewarming party, right? And we do, and everybody knows Hans, maybe not as the alcoholic, but as the guy who loves to drink, right? So at all our housewarming gifts are are booze. It's all like, here's this bottle of bourbon, here's this amazing bottle of tequila. Like we just our housewarming gift was basically like this fully stocked bar, right? Um, so we have this this party. I get drunk. I, I embarrass myself. I embarrass Meg and, uh, you know, probably made other people feel uncomfortable. I'm blacked out. I'm sure. Like, I don't know the specifics. I wake up to the same buzzsaw I've been waking up to. Like, oh, my God, what did I do? Who did I hurt? Uh, this and that. There's the drill. There's the toilet. There's the shower. And um, Meg comes out and she's like, what the fuck is going on, dude? Like, we can't live like this anymore. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. So I take a bottle of booze. Meanwhile, there's like two bottles of booze left. An open bottle of this really expensive Kentucky bourbon that my buddy Justine, jerk practice member, Justy Lang gave us. This open bottle of expensive bourbon and tucked away in a cabinet and in the back of my mind is this bottle of tequila, right? This nice tequila. So I go, Meg, you're absolutely right. You know, I got to be done drinking. I take this bourbon and I dump it down the toilet. And at the same time I'm doing that, and I'm I'm being genuine in both aspects. Meg, I'm done drinking. I'm not going to drink anymore as I'm dumping this out. And I'm saying that with pure sincerity with this side of my brain and my heart, right? 
in the exact same moment, this side is going, but remember, there's that bottle of tequila unopened so she won't question it, so she won't make you throw it, dump it. So don't worry, that's right there. So, all right, so I'm dumping. And both are, are genuine, honest. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, both of them are honest thoughts. Ah, man, it's, um, so I dump it and, um, and, and that is what it is. She goes to work. I immediately grab this bottle of tequila, drink it like a monster, chase it down with red wine. At one point I'm on a roof. I don't know if I was, I'm, I'm too out of it to know what my intentions were. I, I have a feeling I know, but, um, there's no need to go into it cause I don't remember it. Maybe someday I will. And then I end up back in the apartment. Meg is waking me up. I've, she's rolled me on my stomach cause I've been like, you know, choking on my own vomit and the EMTs are there. And so as soon as she wakes me up and then I see these two guys roll in, I'm like, I can snap to it. Right. Because my alcoholism protects itself. So it must've been this amazing scene of a guy covered in red wine and tequila vomit to the point where I'd vomited on my eyes and my eyes had crusted shut. So I kind of had to like uncrust them to open them. Right. And meanwhile, you know, I put my arm on the side of the couch. I'm like, Hey, what's, what's the problem fellas? How's it going? I'm good time. Charlie, like what, what's the issue here? And they're like, your, your wife called us. Like she's, you know, are you all right? Are you, are you sick? What's going on? I was like, yeah, just had a few drinks, you know, I'm good. I'm good. And then they were like, well, he lives here, you know, talking to her. Well, you know, you both live here. We can't, taken away unless you know he's gonna he's a harm to himself or unless he's sick or this or that or whatever they have to go through and all she had to do was point to the counter where there was an empty bottle of tequila and an empty bottle of red wine and say that was full a couple hours a few hours ago and they're like oh all right so they take me they take me to i want to say it was lennox hill doesn't matter they take they take me away and I've been there. Pretty, it, pretty good psych ward. All right. But anyway, go, yeah. keep going. <laughs> they take me away. Uh, and I, I, I don't remember the trip there. I must've passed out again. You know, I'm just so, so boozed up. And then I come to strapped to a gurney in a hallway. I don't know if I, I didn't, um, if I, I didn't qualify for a room or, or whatnot. I don't think they'd clean me up at all. So I'm strapped to a gurney and again, good time, Charlie. I just unstrap myself and, I just remember like casually like, uh, see you later. Everything's good here. Casually walk out the door and get a cab. You know, again, this is, this is, this is blackout behavior. I don't, how would I know my address? How would I know my name? And unfortunately for Meg, who thought she's got this little moment of reprieve when this monster is out of her house and at the hospital somewhere safe, you know, I'm knocking back on the door, like let me in like an hour later. You know what I mean? which is just a, a nightmare to think about and obviously very regrettable and sad. Um, but that being said, in that time, she's already, like I said, she's, she's let everyone know like, Hey, this dude's got a serious problem uh, and he needs some serious help, you know? Uh, and my brother who lives down here as well in Charleston, where I am, he actually leaves his family, his full-time job, his family comes up to help me like uh, the amazing brother that he is and Meg. And that was, like I said, that was the beginning of the end of my active alcoholism. God willing, if you will, you know what I mean? Like that was the point, like that was me like white knuckling it. Like I got a, it's time. You know what I mean? There was, a, you know, the, I wonder 
it, it doesn't matter. Everything, it, it, it happened the way it had to happen. I wonder if I didn't have those roadblocks to go back to drinking at that very moment, if I would have or not, like on my own volition, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But that was, uh, that's what, what put me into, you know, into uh, a 12 strep program and then slowly but surely my journey through my into my recovery and then as we talked about into my discovery of uh, mental health issues that that would um come to be that would surface if you will which which is why I'm, i'm really interested in talking to you about it because there's some very serious chicken and the egg cyclical situation going on with my mental health and my diagnosis of bipolar two disorder uh and my alcoholism and my addiction you know what i mean so i'm i would be curious to to bounce this off with you and what you think about it when we if we get to that point you know absolutely um we're gonna do that vomit eyes dude 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 i'm picturing this situation holy also then i'm picturing you just like jumping up out of nowhere and be like hey fellas what's the problem oh, it's just, little, just just boozing it up yeah with fucking charming charismatic hans h face by the way you know? it, metaphorically or not meg took pictures of me in that passed out state and i keep them as a reminder not like as like self-flagellation or anything but at one point my eyes are crusted over in vomit like and i've got vomit like around my mouth you know i'm not choking she's not taking pictures of me choking but the way I laid is actually arms crossed over my chest and I'm so I'm, I'm dead. I mean, I'm in a coffin like I am, you know, in 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 so many aspects. I'm I'm I'm, I'm dead. That 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 H, that active alcoholism, that was the death of it. And it's very symbolic, obviously, again, on the nose heckle. But I, you know, I can go back to those photos and it's just a, it's what I see now is a very beautiful reminder of, of of what was and 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 that impetus that jumping off point um, and that's got to be a source of in a way that's like a a deep source of gratitude oh, in a strange oh, strange way oh my god you know like a, yeah. the most intense kind of gratitude absolutely wow 